Welcome to Poverty Unpacked, a podcast series in which we discuss the hidden sides of poverty. In conversation with others, we explore how poverty affects the mind, relationships, emotions and society as a whole, and what can be done to change it. In this episode, we speak with Maeve Cohen. Maeve is a project lead at The Social Guarantee. The project launched last December and aims to get the word out about this new idea. It brings together allies and ultimately aims to make change happen. Now, The Social Guarantee is about sharing responsibility for making sure everyone has access to life's essentials. And The Social Guarantee project aims to promote a society where all people can flourish and feel secure. But what is The Social Guarantee? How can it be done in practice? And who needs to get involved? These are the things that we discuss with Maeve today. May thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. It's really good to have you with us. And maybe to just start with the main question that we're all interested in. What is a social guarantee? Great. Well, thank you for having me. It's really lovely to be on the podcast. So basically, we know that there are fundamental things that everybody needs to be able to participate fully in society. So that's things like housing, food, education, healthcare, things like that. And the social guarantee is basically just saying that the primary focus of all of our economic and political activity should be making sure that people have those needs met. So that's ensuring that people have access to high quality public services, things like sustainable transport or affordable childcare. And then it's also about ensuring that they have um, enough money to be able to buy life's essentials. So that's it in a nutshell. And does that mean that you are advocating for the provision of services and, for example, for a universal basic income, or is it a bit more nuanced or possibly more complex than that? Yeah, so we don't advocate for universal basic income. We feel that there's not the, well, we don't feel there isn't the fiscal space to be able to, to, um, there's not enough money to give the high quality public services that we need and to give a basic income that would be sufficient to make sure that everybody can individually pay for life's essentials. So we talk about universal services because the collective provision of services, things like healthcare and education, is a lot more effective and a lot more environmentally sustainable. So these things are prohibitively expensive for most people to be able to buy individually. So we say that we should collectively provide these things and that's how people should access them rather than having to pay for them themselves. So does that mean free services for everybody regardless of their income, and also the same type of services for everybody? So no. So it does mean that people should have access to these services. So what we mean by that is that there should be a baseline, like a floor, that nobody can fall beneath. So a really good example of this is, so the the NHS doesn't treat everybody for a broken arm, right? It only treats the people who have a broken arm for a broken arm. So that's the sort of approach that we're taking. So universal access, but not necessarily giving everybody everything. So a good example of this would be Camden Council have um, a job scheme, for example. So what's the first thing you do when you're looking for a new job? You you go online and you search for a new job. And that's really easy for me because I've got a laptop, I've got access to the internet, I've got the digital skills that I need to be able to do that. But that's not the case for everything. So what Camden did was that they realised that lots of people weren't able to search for and find work because they didn't have access to the internet. 
So they're currently running a trial where they've got 100 people. They're providing them with a laptop. They're providing them with Wi-Fi and they're providing them with um, digital skills training. And it's open to people as long as they're a Camden resident, right? There's no rigorous means testing or anything. So if you can't have the, the internet and you are a Camden resident, you are, you're eligible for this scheme. Um, and it's working really, really well. People have taken it up. They're doing the online courses. They're going to job interviews. They're searching for jobs. They're doing the training. And it's a really good example that sort of shows that, that we don't need to give everybody a laptop, right? We just need to make sure that there's this, this baseline that nobody falls beneath. And if they don't have a laptop and they don't have access to the internet, we are able to provide that for them. So that's a really sort of practical example of how you can give people access when they don't have these digital tools at home. But what about some of the services that you, that you also mentioned, like housing, for example, or, or transport? How do you decide who is in need of a certain service or who might not be able to afford it themselves? Well, I think on things like transport, for example, um, meeting people's needs is different depending on different places. A sort of a good example of this would be like the way that buses work in Manchester, for example. You've got buses are run by private companies and they have monopolies on different bus routes. Okay. So they've been because of these monopolies, have been able the price has been going up consistently over the last few decades. And then you've got one bus company runs buses in North Manchester, one bus company runs buses in South Manchester. So if you're going between North and South Manchester, any sort of discounted pass that you have is not going to work in South Manchester. So you have to pay twice, right? And it's it's just a model that isn't working and people aren't able to get affordably around Manchester. So a good example of how you can do this differently is, is in London. So you've got Transport for London, which is this umbrella umbrella body. So you've got Private companies still run the buses, but they all have to adhere to the regulation of Transport for London, which ensures that people can hop between different bus companies. It ensures that prices are regulated. It ensures um, routes and timetables are adhered to. So it means that people can get around London efficiently and quickly and affordably without having a car. That works really well for cities, but the need for transport in rural areas, for example, is, in, is different. So I'm from rural Durham. Again, with, with private companies running bus bus services, understandably, they are businesses. They're trying to uh, maximise profit, right? But this means that essential but non-profitable bus routes are being, are being cancelled, which has completely eroded people's ability to get around rural areas without a car. Um, and this means that it's really difficult for people to get to the doctors, to get to the bank, to get to school, to go and meet their friends if they don't have a car in these communities. Um, so what it looks like to meet and the need for transport in those communities. Yes, of course, affordability is really important and the prices need to be affordable, but also it's making sure that there's good bus routes, there's good connections, there's good timetables. That means that people are able to, to get to where they need to be. And this is particularly important with transport because transport, I think, is the second highest emitter of carbon in the UK. So if we're trying to meet our carbon targets, we need to reduce this dependency on cars. And that means better public transport services basically so yeah different needs mean different solutions and it depends where they are it depends who they're for so it's not this sort of one size fits all model yeah very clear and what i understand also is that you look at contexts maybe more area wise or group wise rather than really focusing on the individual um, and, and finding out what the solution is for every individual is that fair to say I mean, again, it depends on the service, right? So, yeah, so if you're looking at, like, retrofitting houses, 
so I live in Whitley Bay in North Tyneside. It's a seaside place, right? Retrofitting houses in Whitley Bay is going to look completely different to retrofitting houses in Birmingham, right? Because the geography is completely different. The weather conditions are completely different. And what the needs of the houses are is completely different. So you would have that in a sort of group approach, like Whitley Bay, we can work with people to retrofit their houses in this way. Birmingham, we can do it in this way. But I suppose a more personalised service would be care, the caring industries, right? So people care, care needs are going to be incredibly individualised and they're going to have really specific needs that just just apply to them. So that would meet, need a much more person-centred approach, working with the end users to develop care plans that are appropriate to their needs. It very much depends on the service um, that's being provided and the needs of yeah, either the group or the individual, whichever is most pertinent to that, to that area. So that sounds really amazing, to be honest, to really look at who needs what and how can you make sure that they have their needs met um, in the best way possible. At the same time, it's, it's also very complex and, and responding to different things in different places in different ways. And so drawing on the example of the universal basic income, which is a very simple message, how do you sell this message of a social guarantee to politicians but also just the general public because the message is not as simple or at least the way in which you want to deliver um, the vision is not as simple as say for example the universal basic income well yeah I mean firstly I'd say that universal basic income isn't as simple as it appears to be so you've got so many versions of what UBI could be you've got far-right libertarians who who want it to increase personal freedom then you've got people really on the far left who want to um, ensure that people have their needs met basically so it's not as simple as it looks and um, there's different levels of UBI people call they often say it's UBI when it's not because it's targeted at a, at a specific group so actually UBI isn't as simple as it as it looks and I think that the way that you sell it and I think this is really pertinent to to this time is well for me the thing that draws me to the social guarantee over over something as simple as UBI is yes it incorporates the good bits of that so it makes sure that people have a living income and that they're not going to not have enough money to bit to pay for food but it means that people who have enough money we're not just giving them free money and what we really don't want to do at this point in time is give people more consumption power when we really need to be reducing consumption and production to to stay within our planetary boundaries so enabling people to just buy more and more and more stuff if that's not stuff that's sent like that, that that they need that's environmentally sustainable it's probably not a good move so when we're talking about collectively providing essential services it's a lot more sustainable and yes it's more nuanced but I think it's a lot more appealing for, for many reasons. Firstly, because it's good for equality. So it's much more redistributive. If you're giving people free services at the point of access, that's going to be much more beneficial for low income people. If, they, if it wasn't free, they'd have to spend more of their income on that. Um, it's really great for sustainability, as I say, like none of these needs can be met in a, in a planet that's burning. So it embeds sustainability at the core of all of our economic and political decisions. Um, it's really good for efficiency because profit by its definition is taking money out of a service. So it means that that profit that would be taken out for shareholders is then fed back into the system and increases the quality of the services and the conditions of the workers. And then it's solidarity. It's about saying we are not as a society, we are not going to let you fall below this certain level. Right. We are not going to accept that people in the fifth richest country in the world are going to go without food or are going to go without education. We're not 
about that and it moves away from this sort of market individualized idea of that you're responsible for all of these things and it recognizes that actually no we are a society and we need to support everybody within that society so I think it's on the surface not as simple as UBI but actually when you chip into UBI that's not simple either and there's so many more points to to the social guarantee that's so much more relevant to this point we are in history that yeah I hope that it's sellable I'm trying to sell it (laughs) (laughs) well you're doing a very good job really (laughs) um on that point about society whose role is it then to pick this up is it just about governments and states provision or do you see a bigger role for civil society communities coming together etc absolutely so it's it's not about like like we discussed earlier it's not about the state rolling out all of these like uniform services from the top down so very much devolving power is a big part of the social guarantee and devolving power to the lowest appropriate level different types of organizations are more suited to different types of services so again with care care is a really good example of this where you've got at the minute in the uk it's 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 a market-based system businesses provide adult social care right and it, ju- it just doesn't work for that particular industry okay so like the only way for people to ma- to businesses to maximize profits is to increase efficiency okay but if you're in a position where you need to place your loved one in a care home you're not looking for the most efficient home are you you're looking for the home that will provide the best care and make sure that they're safe and happy and as healthy as they can be with, with the caring industries, the only way you can maximize profit is to increase efficiency. And that means caring for more people in a set amount of time, right? But you can't do this. You can't care for an infinite amount of people in, in an hour, say. Like, it very quickly erodes the quality of the care that you're giving. It's just not suited for that model of provision. It's a really classic example of market failure. And there's really good examples of how we can do it differently. So, for example, there's a, a group of carers in the Colne Valley have created Colne Valley Cooperative Care, which is a care cooperative, like it sounds like. And they are registered with the Care Quality Commission. So they have to they have to adhere to all the regulations that any carer would do. And they provide all these different types of care services. And um, But because their main goal, the goal of the organisation is not maximising profit, it's about giving good care and good um, working conditions. That means that any money that they make, they can plough back into good quality, high quality care and making sure that their staff are well paid and well trained. Um, And this has led to personalised care, happier, more well paid and well trained carers and empowered service users. So that model works a lot better for that particular industry. And there is like state run industry. So for example, Adna, the network rail, for example, that's best run nationally, but state providers of care aren't particularly good at giving this like this personalized care. And similarly with private companies, they may be really good at making sure that we have food and that we have access to healthy food, but again, not very good at providing, providing care for the reasons that I've laid out above. And there's this whole host of different types of organizations in between this, in between these two, like public and private, and we should be utilizing them and thinking as I said at the start, like putting what the need is first, what is that that people need this service to do, and then what is the best way to ensure that they get that. And it will vary from place to place, and it will vary from from need to need. Yeah, so very much at every level with everybody and their roles in society, taking a step back from the efficiency and profit-driven motivations, but really looking at how can we all contribute to 
a better world for for each other yeah and I'm, I'm sure that well I know for a fact like we have this system in place of profit maximization because it was believed that that would be the best way to meet people's needs it would make sure that everybody has enough money so they can have access to all of the things that they need but it's not working and I think it's time that we said right we tried that and it's not working let's cut out the middleman and just go straight to the need so in some cases it might be best served by profit maximizing markets right that might work in some cases but in other cases it doesn't so let's not use that model in other cases we can't have this one model that's going to service all of these different varied needs because they're too different and they're too varied and there's loads of different alternatives that work better Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned a few examples already, like the care cooperative or what's happening in, in Camden. How far are you with the movement towards a social guarantee? And are these examples of where you've advocated for a needs based approach, if you will, or just examples that you see already happening and that are exciting and, and fit this new paradigm? Yeah, so we've only been going since December. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, as the social guarantee, so the social guarantee launched in July, actually. It launched last month. But this sort of, the initiative that I'm part of got some funding and started going in in December. So we were very, very new. Um, But people have been working on this for a really long time. So the Camden example is um, the Institute for Global Prosperity at UCL have been working with Camden on loads of different things and that's one of the things that they've been supporting with and they've got a commitment to universal basic services and yeah so they've been working on that for a long time my colleague Anna from the New Economics Foundation has been doing loads of work on on universal basic services and things like that for for a long time so she's on our task force this academic called Ian Guff is on our task force and he's done loads of stuff on niche theory so we're very much like standing on the shoulders of giants um, and people have been working on this stuff for a really long time but we are very very new so watch this space (laughs) very good and tell us a bit more about the initiative what are your plans for the future how can people get involved well, you can get involved by signing up on our website. So it's socialguarantee.org. And we will be launching our newsletter next month. And there's loads of information about all of these different things on the new on the website as well. So I would highly recommend you go on it. We've got a Twitter that's at Social Guarantee. And we have three main aims, basically, three main strategic aims. And one of them is to get um, the Social Guarantee into public and political discourse. So podcasts like this are really, really helpful for that. So thank you so much. And then we're generating research. So we're looking at different aspects and doing deep dives into different aspects of the social guarantee. Um, And then lastly, it's about networking people and bringing people together who are already doing work that's similar to this and making sure that they're talking to each other and that they have the tools that they need to talk about this stuff. So that's like think tanks, grassroots campaigns, unions, things like that, and trying to bring these people together and basically talk to them about the social guarantee and get them advocating for the social guarantee as well. So there are like three main strategic aims. Yeah, brilliant. And within the UK, do you already have some political traction or is this very much ongoing piece of work? Well, I mean, as I say, we've not been going for very long, but we're having really interesting conversations with people from various different parties, which is really promising. And what I really love about the social guarantee is it sort of moves away from this dichotomy of UBI, UBS, and recognises that actually these things are two sides of the same coin, and that, of course, people need to have enough money to be able to buy the things that they need. And, of course, we need really good public services. And it's about bringing those two things together. And because... We've been able to do that. I think we've gained a lot of 
traction and interest from people across the political spectrum. So as I say, very early days, but yeah, it's it's going well. We're feeling good about it. Very good. <laughs> and then a final question, also because many of our listeners come from all over the world. Is this something very UK specific, do you think? Or have you also built on examples from elsewhere if in Europe, if not elsewhere? I mean, a lot of the examples on our website are from Europe. And I know that the research that Ian's done and others have done in this space has been a lot more internationally focused. This campaign is specifically targeted at the UK because this is this is where we're at, but it's very much applicable to more places. And we really welcome interest and questions from people across the world because we think it's really it's a really strong framework we think for yeah developing good public services and making sure that everybody have their needs met great well may thank you so much for speaking to us about the social guarantee with so much enthusiasm and passion and i'm sure many listeners will find it very interesting and, and follow up sign up to the newsletter and join the conversation well thank you so much it's been a real pleasure talking to you Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, please follow us on Twitter or Instagram and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, let us know what you think. Do you think the social guarantee is a good idea? Or do you think other options like universal basic income or other types of universal basic services or social policy should be explored? We're very interested to hear more from you. Let us know what you'd like to discuss in the next episode. We hope you'll join us again next time.